this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. What's up, Mark? You ready to jump into it? Yeah, let's do it. It's been a pretty eventful week for both of us. It's it's nice to get to keep our hands wet, but uh, you've been doing it uh, more than others lately. You got your whole tank switched over. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, you know, it's funny how you say, like, I'm going to take it slow, you know, gradually do this and that. But then once you get the plumbing in, it's like, let's do this. Let's get it all over. It's hard for me not to do it uh, impatiently. So, um, yeah. Well, if, if you're an inexperienced Aquarius, you know, you want to pay attention to everything that you're doing and uh, watching those gradual changes. But if you, if you know everything you need to do, it's, it's very exciting to put everything together as quickly as possible. Cause you know what the end result is going to be. And you got something started and then you just kept with it. Well, and it was funny because of our talks, uh, some of the misconception the topics that came up, um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's, I mean, I, I didn't do anything particularly different than what I would normally do, but it's just, as I was doing them, my brain was going back to those conversations. I, I the one exception is, you know, I did, I did pretty much go full tap water and, uh, just run a block of carbon in the media reactor when you're setting um, up a new tank, like why would you wait a week for our water to fill up a tank that you're about to get really dirty? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, there were no problems with that. Plus, um, I always get a little anxious when it when you start off super clean and then, you know, especially if you're moving stuff over, you've got this existing cleanup crew, you know, urchins and snails and stuff, and they're running around like there's no algae in there, you know? So <clears throat> I did notice, you know, I got a little more film on the glass quicker and i just let that be it was like all right you know so these these guys don't starve and you know die and then there's your nutrients right well once you so, take it up from the top for folks who sure. might not be all caught up with the up uh, with the sessions of reef therapy and uh you know tell them what you've been planning and uh what you you know i guess really pulled the trigger on the last week or so yeah so the tank came in um a week prior <clears throat> and then the weekend prior to this last week uh so i guess two weekends ago i got to plumbing it um it was a little bit of a nerve-wracking situation because i got that second covid dose friday afternoon <clears throat> mm -hmm. and i felt good and i was like man tomorrow morning i'm gonna get up and i'm gonna get all the pvc glue out and i'm gonna go to town and then uh that night i had like a 101 fever and aches Ooh. all over and i was like and my first thought, you know, is, well, crap, you know, this may impact my ability to plumb my tank, right? But by morning, I was back to normal and ready to go. So I it's spent the weekend. How, <clears throat> how long you're in a holding pattern, waiting for the tank to arrive. It's actually a really great time to contemplate what you want, what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. But I thought your plumbing came together really well. Thank you. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I contemplated doing while I was waiting on the tank. And then when it actually came to doing it, you know, I've got like all these boxes of things. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. You know, <laughs> uh, magnetic actuated things to turn on the lights in the stand, you know, when you open the door and all that. And then you, <clears throat> when it came down to it, I was like, I don't feel like doing all that. I just want to get to plumbing. And so I did that. Um, then um, I literally had plenty of rock to move over if I wanted to and just copy the aquascape over, just lift and shift. But um, I just really got to thinking of, you know, the way that this tank with the shallow water uh, and the, the rim above it, it just really um, lended itself to having a more minimalist aquascape, I think, and yeah. more just that lagoon vibe. Less so, rock, more coral. Yeah, so I got to experimenting with gluing rocks uh, some of those um, carob sea purple, I forget what they're called, real reef or no, uh, not real life reef, rock. Life rock, thank you. Yes. And yeah, these, uh, these guys who make the uh, artificial man made rock, they're real creative with their life rock and real reef and reef rock. <laughs> they're not straight too together. far from the path. But I, I like that stuff because it's already purple. So it's not like when you mix old and new rock, now you got this stark white rock with this coralline encrusted rock, right? And then I tried this uh, thing I saw on YouTube um, where you use this super thin, runny super glue. I mean, yep. it, the viscosity is almost less than water. Like, I, I don't know, you're like rubbing alcohol almost seems more viscous than actual tap water, right? Yeah. It's almost like regular that. Regular super glue, not super glue gel. No, this is even runnier than the regular Home was Depot. It, was it called something else? <clears throat> Well, it's just called thin, but I mean, I have some other versions of thin runny super glue and this stuff is like, it's, it's crazy, crazy thin. Um, it's, it's like, it's almost cut with something, but so what I did is you put two rocks together and you dump a bunch of oolite sugar sized sand in the crevice in between. And then you just squirt this super glue in and the sand wicks it in and it instantly sets. It's, um, it's almost like an accelerant, like the way uh, baking soda is with super glue. Right. So, so you can just move real quick and just keep, you know, okay, I'm going to add a rock here, dump a bunch of sand, and, and then maybe the sand starts flowing through like an hourglass, so you got to quickly grab that glue, but as soon as you get the glue on it, it sets. So I did that. Um, so you built your structures dry yeah. before you put any water in the tank. Uh, well, no, that was while it was uh, filled with tap water, and I was running the tap water filter. And then I threw – I didn't throw the rocks in until I threw the salt in. Mm -hmm. I'm just weird about uh, sand and rock. I feel like you should add it after this salt is mixed up. You know, yeah. you don't want some pocket of salt or something where there's not a lot of flow. And Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, but, yeah, then uh, that was during the week, and then I think Thursday night I put in a tester coral. Nice I mean, little indicator. Yeah, the canary colony. in the coal mine, um, which I mixed the salt that morning and put the rock in that afternoon. And then that night I put a tester coral in. None of this like waiting eight years to put life into a tank. <laughs> um, and I woke up the next morning and that thing was polyped out like, hey, I'm good. So then I just said, all right. And uh, the plan was to move more corals over the weekend. But then you're just sitting there like, I'm going to go downstairs and grab another coral. I'm going to go downstairs and grab another coral. <laughs> and the next thing you know, Friday night, like everything was in there except the fish and the clams. Um, I didn't, you know, I wanted to wait on those guys a little longer, but uh, then I moved those guys over Saturday and everything's just gelling. Um, so you, you set up your tank over the course of like three days? Yeah. 
Yeah, and I moved I moved the sand, which everybody thinks is a horrible idea, but I don't have a deep sand bed, right? I just have like a half-inch crushed coral bed, and I, you know, I rinsed it in some old tank water, and I, I, I want all that crud and all those pods and everything to move over anyway. I'm not worried about, you know, hydrogen sulfide or any of that crap, so... Um, and everything's looking, knock on wood, good. Um, so, you don't have to knock on wood, man. This is, what, the 20th reef tank you've set up in your career? Yeah, you know, I don't like to push Murphy's Law, you know, around. You never know. Um, but Murphy did bite you. He did. Tell us, yeah. what, tell us what happened there. So a couple of things. Uh, when I was moving my dosing pump, the dosing pump dripped on... Um, uh, EB8 power strip, and that started to fizz. Um, and by fizz, you mean like electrical fizz? Yeah, um, I got that guy fixed. I, I was able to take it apart and uh, get any residue out, and it's working again. Um, the EB8 behind me that was fried a long time ago, uh, and then I had, you know, you catch all your fish, but uh, my orchid dotty back was hiding in a Ooh, rock, and he yeah. got crushed and. That was my daughter's favorite fish, so I was I was sad about that. Um, so that those were the two uh, pissers of the of the weekend. Uh, but um, you, you know, anytime you ship, you know, like a hundred parcels of one particular good in, in, in the freighting business is called breakage. Yeah, you know, you you just expect that, right? You ship a hundred corals from the other side of the world to you know America or Europe not all of them are going to be flawless when they arrive on the other side. True. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, uh, my wife wasn't happy with me because I, um, I'm maybe it sounds crass or bad, but I don't, sometimes you don't want to move a whole colony because it was used to growing a certain way under certain light, certain flow. And then you move the whole thing to your new tank and it doesn't fit your aquascape. Right. So now you're compromising on your aquascape just to, get this coral balanced right yeah just kind of shoehorn it in yeah and so i i took the attitude of like let me just take cuttings of all my corals right and i was starting with these new rock aquascapes and i glued them onto the new rocks and then some of the smaller rocks i put in like my sump and stuff so i still have that you know biology happening but then the rest of the rocks with the giant corals i just stuck in the backyard and my wife's like, you're killing the coral. I'm like, well, I, I kind of look at it like a plant, you know, like I took a cutting of it and it, it still lives on. Um, but I wasn't I'm gonna... a little, I'm a little cross with you. Cause I told you I wanted some of that, you know, Fox flame and you're yeah. just like, yeah, I'm gonna grab a couple frags and throw away the rest. It's, it's work, man. It, it's work giving away coral sometimes. Yeah. Right. Like when you have extra corals, it's just, man, I just can't be bothered to take a picture and put it up online, negotiate a price, get a ton of like messages back and forth and then telling people it's gone and it's tedious. And sometimes I mean, you just want to enjoy your reef, just purely the reef. Well, and it would delay me cleaning out the old tank, you know, because then I'd have to maybe keep that running with some of these old corals that I'm trying to sell. And then, you know, like you said, the guy doesn't show up to buy it when he said he would. And so, yeah, I mean, it sounds awful, but I just put it in he the He shows up. He doesn't have cash, but he has PayPal and you have Venmo. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, yeah, it's just, it's tedious. That's why when I have extra corals, I'll just, just make it rain on whoever's around. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I guess I could have said like, "Hey, pick up today," kind of thing, or something, and see who who showed up. But um, but you know, you're trying to do everything. It's a lot of work, and it's like to to then have people show up in the middle of it. Um, just doesn't work, right? I mean, you're trying to get everything moved over. You're trying to get the plumbing, everything, and the wiring done. And so, yeah, I I wasn't gonna deal with that so but i like how everything turned out and now you have a, a new aquascape and you started uh you did you already go to pure reef to go grab a few pieces to fill out the aquascape is that what happened no i uh like i've been saying to you i've been on the hunt for well it's kind of so you ever spend you ever end up spending like the like money that you weren't planning on spending on your reef and you just kind of feel sick to your stomach about it for a day or no. two no <laughs> So I feel sick to my stomach about the things that I didn't get. Yeah, that's true. That's a worse regret. No, so two kind of wish list things that I wanted to do with this tank. Um, one is I, I just certain corals that I'm on the hunt for, but I like I was telling you, maybe not in these chats, but in private, that I've just been on the hunt for um, a semi-affordable tracky, you know, uh, open yeah. brain coral. One with a lot of potential, but you know, reasonable price. Yeah. I mean, when you're getting into the $300 price range, I just can't justify that. Plus I, I think those corals are harder than people, um, admit. So, yeah. um, it, you know, we used to think of them as beginner corals. I don't I mean, really, I think they're harder today because so? we have so much flow and so much light and aggressive filtration, right? I think trachophilia is probably one of those corals that just, really thrived more when we had less flow more subdued lighting and we're just you know mostly doing water changes but not aggressive on everything i'm having that same issue and we already talked about this with shrooms like i i don't know what it is i maybe uh, i think my reef tanks and my reef holding systems they just have a ripping flow and it's just really hard to get shrooms super happy um, unless I find like a perfect corner or have it in, like in the flow shadow of another coral. And so, yeah, I totally see myself setting up a, either a section of one of these coral flats or a totally separate tank just for shrooms. And that's, I think that's what's happening with the trachophilias because they used to last forever. And now we're, we're, we're killing them with kindness. <laughs> Back when we had like Maxijet powerheads and VHOs, they were like, "This is nice," you know. Yeah. And now it's tons of par, tons of flow. Um, yeah. So I saw one online for half that price, and uh, I was like, "Well, that seems reasonable." So I bought it, and uh, they had an interesting plate coral that I, you know, I don't know if I got the if I got close on the you Latin did. name. Okay, you good. Did. All right, you got good. It. Um, of course, now I've already forgotten the genus. Uh, Lobactus. Yes, there it is. So there's a uh, disc coral, plate coral, uh, very common in Central Pacific. It also ventures into Indo-Pacific. Um, it was formerly known as Fungia scutaria, and that is a very recognizable purple, almost always has like just nice green tentacles. And that used to always be like a 40 to $60 coral, which, you know, in the wrong hands today, that might be like three to 800 Who knows? But you found one that was, I would say is a very rare color morph. It's solid green. Yeah, it was from the same vendor. Um, it was actually more than the uh, tracky, but it just I, it had wait, a wait. cool. All right, all right. So you got a small tracky. How much was that? That was about 150 I want to say. Ooh. Yeah. They weren't giving that one away. And it's like. 
two inches max. It's a button. Yeah, it's, like a <laughs> it's little, a little tiny <laughs> ball. And the 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 lobactus was more than that. It was two hundred. And I mean, it, it, as a fellow fungid lover, like I, you know, that's premium pricing. I wouldn't say it's totally out of line. Um, that coral, lobactus scutaria, I've seen just a handful of them that were solid orange, which is psycho when you consider that nearly all the orange uh, disc corals that you see are cycloceres. So seeing a neon orange one was, was crazy. But then also, I compared notes with a buddy of mine, and all the orange ones died. Hmm. All three to four that we ever came across. It was yeah. very crazy. But you got one that was solid green, and I would say that that is a legitimately rare coral. A solid green Lobactus scutaria. But if you want to do some image searches to compare fungus scutaria, you'll find all kinds of studies because it's super common in Hawaii. Interesting. Yeah. Um, it the the upside, despite the also the pricing was, uh, they came in looking the way they looked in the oh. pictures. So like this thing was glow in the dark green, and I was like, okay, you know that's that's cool. That was uh, I was kind of expecting a little bit of photo saturation photography saturation happening but um but yeah it's so you know you end up spending three hundred dollars on three 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 plus hundred dollars on three corals i threw in a little i forget but i I frag of something that was like 30 bucks it's like well you know once you get into the free shipping zone you're always like yeah i'll throw in like a 30 dollar was that was that the orange candy no oh that was from a different vendor so me um, and Mark have been like bouncing pictures back and forth to each other on just like stuff that's just radically misidentified or misrepresented. So we f- he found two different candy corals. One of them was clearly photographed under daylight lighting to help accentuate some of the imaginary orange striping on it. And then in a normal tank, it was just green, like not even nice green, right? And then there was another one, which is you know, the common neon green candy coral that everybody knows. And the, the, the color balance was so off that it would look yellow. Yeah. <laughs> so in one case, they pushed the lighting all the way to warm to bring out the colors that you'll never see in a tank because no one's keeping their tank, you know, daylight spectrum. And in another case, they pushed it all the way blue and just had the color balance off to make it look yellow. Candy coral. Yeah. So, so I'm glad that I'm glad that you're peppering your tank with some some new acquisitions. It's nice to have all this real estate and then just kind of get back in the groove. Because man, your tank can coast for years without considering doing anything. But you're you're fully like got your sleeves proverbially well, rolled up. The sucky thing, what not the sucky thing. It's a good thing. But so you know those corals showed up and I was like, all right, yeah, I'd want to get those. And I was like, whoo, yeah, that was a lot of money. And then the other thing that's been in the back of my brain is, um, I've got a male flame angel and I've been wanting to, uh, I was like, man, if some really small juvies ever show up with like a rounded dorsal, like a female, I should pick those up and try to have a harem. Right. Because I don't feel like my tank's big enough for a large angel, um, or it would look out of scale. Yeah. Um, it's weird when you see like five, six foot tank and it's got like a 12 inch naso. Yeah. Like, I know you see it a lot. So you think you can get away with it, but man, it just disrupts the feng shui yeah. of the entire aquarium. Forget the whole ethical debates or tank police. It just looks weird to me. Um, mm-hmm. 
So I thought, well, if you're not going to, you know, if I, I love angels, so if I can't do that, maybe I'll just do a harem of, you know, smaller, you know, uh, pygmy angels. So I thought a flame harem would be cool. But I was like, I'll do that down the road. And then Live Aquaria pops up like a bazillion little baby flame angels this week. And I was like, son of a bee. So, <laughs> you know, so then I spent some, you know, money on those. And then, you know, then you start to feel kind of sick to your stomach. Like, man, I spent a lot of money this week. Yo, but- I'm going to give you so many corals, it'll even out. <laughs> Yeah, well, and you Save know, some room, man. Save some room because I got your pink nephthia, and oh, yes. I'd love to get you some of the astro leather. It's weird. Do you remember the astro leather that was described yeah. early last year? Dude, that coral is weird because it does not stay put. It moves around, right? Well, you know that like leathers will kind of crawl with their stalk, like grow, move in a direction. Yeah. These things take it to the next level, right? It's just like a little button, and it just totally moves downhill or with the flow and it leaves little babies behind for a while there i was i was having i still need to get the really green one i mean it's relative right but for a while there i was like man this coral's stu- stupid it's got no stock and it just won't stay on a plug and i finally found a couple places where it's happy i think getting my nutrients up actually really getting my nutrients up um helped it out a lot but it's funny because if you look at it top down it looks very much like a sarcophyton. Really? It's not until you look closely and it's like, hmm, this thing has no stock. It's just like a, it looks like a, like a dinner roll. <laughs> it just looks like a dinner roll with coral polyps popping out. It's, it's very interesting. I wouldn't say it's beautiful or super desirable, but I got a couple pieces. Cause like I said, it just, as it walks along, it just leaves little daughter polyps or bits of tissue that turn into small colonies. Um, all over the place so i could scrape some off the the bottom of some of my bare bottom tanks yeah hook it up i would love that i love that kind of stuff. i got you i got your pick nephew on lock so save nice. some room don't spend all your money in one place no i'm done i'm i'm <laughs> i got to get your flames already they come tomorrow um, you're gonna quarantine them <clears throat> yeah yes yes god i can't tell you how many times i mean even recently that i've had to up my quarantining game or the thoroughness of my kind of quarantining and my conditioning um it just every time you think oh this is gonna be clean unless you know it's like or a and it hasn't like touched the local fish store or a a captive breeder that you know they have to have everything disease free you can't breed stuff with diseases um man you just it's it seems like a major pain, but it's not nearly as much of a pain as like getting a bunch of funk in your reef tank. Well, and everything's going so well with this uh, lift and shift reef tank that I, you know, I just don't need to push my luck. And yeah, even the with the exception of that uh, plate coral, everything else is in a coral quarantine. I felt okay about the plate because it's um, tissue all around. Right, there's no dead anything for. Tomants to speaking of which, that is one of those funniest things that I don't think we mentioned so much on the briefing misconceptions. Is this whole idea of like, okay, delicately acclimate your coral to your tank parameters. Now give it a really caustic dip <laughs> before you put it into the aquarium. <laughs> put, it, put it in some citrus oil and nuke it for two minutes and. Oh boy! Oh boy! <laughs> So what's um what's next on your? I love talking about your tank, man. I'm loving this. I got a couple of things I want to mention, but I like talking about your tank. So what's next for your tank? I mean, you probably want to let it just kind of settle in a little bit. 
Yeah, um, I think I'm now I'm due to just do the the usual stuff like the wire cleanup. You know, uh, mm. I did get some of those uh, cables you recommended in this week. Uh, yes, so the I'm custom short power that. cord, dude. I swear, when I found those, it was like I heard the angels singing. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. This is just going to save me so much room, so much time, and it's going to look awesome doing it. And they're like two or three bucks. We had a lot of comments, people asking where to get those. I had just copied and pasted. Was it cables.com? Cables.com? Cables.com. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Did that... you get different colors or? No, I went all white. Yeah, I like to keep it clean too. And then I just, I got like a label maker so I can tag each uh, wire and I know what it is. Um, no, there's that. Uh, and then uh, today I tested the water automated water exchange, which given the location of the tank will come in handy so that I can every once in a while just, you know, throw 10 gallons of new water. And plus I can use it to replenish or replace salt water with fresh um, <clears throat> because I do dose two part a lot and my salinity goes up monthly. So I got to correct that. So you've been reefing a super long time, man. Um, you're not using Kalkwasser? Man, I went down that rabbit hole last night, actually. I uh, almost pulled the trigger on a, a reactor because I thought, I was looking at my tank, I was like, I could get away with calc for a while on this thing. You mean just calc? Yeah. But you know you're going to need two-part after it. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to get to a point. Like, calc should not even be for mineral replenishment. It should be simply for buffering your alkalinity, which sounds funny because alkalinity is buffering, but you know, adding the those hydroxides to keep your alkalinity from getting eaten up and keeping your pH up. Like that should be like the prime unless you have, you know, kind of a medium energy and mild growing euphilia tank, you can get away with just calc water. But I still are I'll start all my tanks with just calc and then I go to two part and now I have one or two tanks that are about to exceed what's a reasonable amount of dosing for those tanks. They are about to be like, all right, calc dosing and calcium reactor. Yeah. I, and I looked at it too. Like, I mean, I, I think they, if you take care of a calc reactor, it'll, it'll be good to go for a long time, but it just was one more piece of equipment to manage. Whatever. Yeah. You got room, man. <laughs> you got room and you got, is that your only reef or you still have a nano or two? I just have the coral prop tank uh, or okay. Q tank now. I got rid of my nano. Um, and then, then, yeah, I've been texting you going back and forth if I should keep this Red Sea tank and what I should do with it. And so we'll see what happens with that. But anyway, I, now I want to hear about, because you, you were saying you had a pretty eventful week as well. So I want to turn the table. Oh, my Lord, bro. Today is a day I will never forget. So this is really interesting. The, f the first specialty like reefing book, right? Not like the oh, TFH, have... like how to do coral stuff that, you know, the super generic stuff that TFH and Barron's was putting out. Like I had all those books, but before I got the reef aquarium, before I got the modern reef coral reef aquarium, like within a year of me starting the hobby, this book came out giant clams and this by Daniel Knopp. And I have two copies because one of them belonged to Herlock, so I have to keep them both. I got but, one um, right there. <laughs> yeah. And I just <clears throat> fell in love with clams from an early age, you know, like saltwater fish were beautiful and neat. And then like corals were still just like a mystery. And then for some reason, something about my teenage brain just wrapped around the clams and then, you know, learned about these, these clams that people had never seen, like Tridacna rosewateri from the middle of the Indian Ocean. 
and Hippopus porcelanus from Palau in the Philippines, and then the devil clam from just a tiny little spot in Tonga. And I've just been really keeping up with, you know, I went to Palau and I went to the Palau Mariculture Demonstration Center. They don't call it that anymore, but it's the same place. And I got to see Hippopus porcelanus for the first time. And I made that video and I was just like, I always thought that the first time I'd see Hippopus porcelanus, it'd be like one of those weird freshwater species where it was like a little bit different and you'd have to really know what you're looking at to to, to determine how different they were. But when I saw them, I was just like, oh my God, they look so different from arguably the most ugly clam hippopus. Like I love and respect hippopus clams, but they are a mantle only a mother could love. And then along yeah. those same lines, there was the devil clam from Tonga, which, uh, which was originally described from fossils in Fiji. So it was originally described as Tridacna embalavuana, and the live specimens were described as Tridacna tevo tevaroa because tevaro is the Tongan name for devil. And that's what they call them over there because at the time, the only photographs of this clam um, just had this dark, like knobby, warty looking surface. And the only photographs that existed of it showed the clam pretty much like that, just really dark. And it opened up really weird. And in the last handful of years, just a very few specimens have entered the reef aquarium trade. I actually handled one at my time in LA and the ship to, sh to Chicago. And they actually had some beautiful, like orange markings. Like, first of all, like the devil clam is, would be like the last pick, right? Crochets are beautiful. Squamosas are beautiful. Um, maximas are like mind blowing. And so I got to handle and learn a little bit about the devil clams, but uh, just a couple days ago, I saw a devil clam was for sale and I had to have it. It was, it was, I talked to my buddy Ali up down in SoCal who had had a couple and um, him and I, are, him and I are two of the biggest clam junkies I'd ever I know. And he was like, "Bro, even if it dies, you have to get this clam. Like, you will regret not getting this clam." And uh, just it's super nerve wracking because no one's ever kept them, and the specimen was like 11 inches long because they're a deep water clam, right? So I didn't mention that earlier. But one of the reasons they're very poorly documented is they only occur in. Uh, pretty not not pretty deep water but like deeper than snorkeling right so historically um they've only been seen at about 20 to 30 meters so 60 to 100 feet and if you know anything about clams like they fall off at 50 feet right you'll see some squamosas at like 50 feet and that's kind of the limit and so these clams we don't even know enough about them to know if they're actually endangered in the wild which is probably not likely because they live deeper and they're less susceptible to being over harvested in Tonga. And they have right. since found nice shore fishermen kind of thing. They're not, right. They're I mean, not like when down. you're in the uh, Indo-Pacific, Papua New Guinea, Solomon Islands, Indonesia, like there's clams in walking you know depth, like all over the place. It's like a, it's like a snack. It's like fast food. You can just grab one, throw it on the boat. It'll be alive out of water for hours, and then you can you know eat it up a little bit later. 
And so we just know so little about these devil clams that when this one popped up, like I had to get it. It was it was very expensive. Makes your purchase look like peanuts. <laughs> but you know, thank you, Reef Builders. <laughs> Put that on the account, and it came in today. And bro, I was so nervous because it came in two boxes. The second box was totally wrapped in plastic. And then when I got through the plastic, all the, the entire box was just like completely drenched and soaked. Oh, no. And then when I started hacking into like, I don't know, six or seven layers of bags, right? So there's one box, then a layer of bags, then another box, then a styrofoam box, then like six or seven layers of bags. As I was cutting into the bags, there was like less and less and less water. Next thing I know, I'm staring at the face of an open clam. Oh, just wide open clam in like one liter of water and I pop it in the tank and it was just behaving completely different. I, I popped it in the tank because there was not enough water to acclimate it with. I yeah. was totally prepared to acclimate it, but there wasn't enough water in the last bag that I pulled out and I was like a little bit nervous and frazzled. And unlike other clams, which totally close up, um, you know, in shipping or in handling or whatever, these things are just like sprung open it's really weird. They're like they're kind of like sprung open and they can close, but they don't want to. And man, I swear for that first hour or two, I was like just staring it down looking for signs of life and it was kind of hard to tell because they also they don't extend their mantle past the shell ever. So right? it looks like so, a, like the way a unhealthy typical tridacnid would look where it's you know, the mantle's inside the shell and it's open kind of thing. Yes, and even when it's open, the mantle never pulls in past the shell. This thing was pulled like two inches down from the shell. And I'm like, oh my freaking God, oh my God. You know, I'm just, I'm not trying to get like nervous or trying to get ahead of myself. And I'm just like, you know, this is a risk you take, but I can actually see it from here. And um, it has like squirted a couple times and now it's uh uh, X current siphon is fully open, like inch and a half. And I guess I swear, man, if I showed you all my clams, that'd be the last one to make an impression, except for its size. But it's what was really cool, you know, is um, it's a deep water clam, and I've worked with some tropical houseplants, and um, certain plants like anthuriums are velvety. They have its velvety surface, and they have um, this like nano texture to help capture light from coming from every angle because they live like you know under forest canopy and stuff. And so they have the special adaptation to capture light coming from everywhere. And I think that's what's going on with the devil clam also because it's got like a really warty, knobby surface. And I think it's just trying to um, texturize itself in order to capture light coming from as many directions as possible. So, so. So yeah, I, this is my like peppermint angelfish of clams moment. I never thought I'd have one. You know, years ago when I finally handled one, I never thought I'd see one alive. Um, but now that I have one, I'm just like, oh god, I need a couple more. <laughs> because because if I had a couple more devil clams, especially a smaller one, yo, I would do everything in my power to try to breed them. I know how hard that would be. I know how much salt water that would. Take. I know how much energy and attention that would take. But I think I would rather spawn the devil clam than corals. <laughs> Uh, and it was just like, it was like really exciting, but also nerve wracking because there is zero information about this clam that I haven't written up from other people already. Yeah. <laughs> so I talked to one guy in Southern California who's handled a couple and when they died, he called in a sushi chef because they cost so much and <laughs> he ate them. 
Oh, wow. They sushied them and ate them. And I talked to one other guy, um, Isan Dashti of Triton in Germany, because he had had one also. And I think as far as I know, he was the only one that kept one for about a year and a half to two. And he gave me some really um, valuable advice. And so, you know, it's just not like another clam. You know how much I love this clam? I have a pair of shells in my case down here. I paid $100 for the pair of shells, which is probably not enough. <laughs> in my book and me and Ali are the only ones I'm like yo you got any uh, devil clam shells lying around but but no and uh, yeah so I'm just super excited about that and uh, that's my devil clam story so, so far <clears throat> given their their lower light requirements what are you how are you keeping this thing um, um so I was worried that they might have like a really low tolerance for light but I remember seeing the pictures in the Triton brief display, and we're talking about five, seven years ago. And uh, in speaking with Isan, you know, I remembered where he was in his tank, and it was getting about three to four hundred par, right? So, so sorry, three to four hundred micromoles per meter squared per second of par. And so it's not as low light, right? So like all the other clams, you can just freaking blast them with light. And in speaking with him, and I knew that it, what display it was in. Um, it got it got a lot of light for you know a reef tank no for for a reef animal not for a reef tank and so right now I have it in a, I you know I almost never measure a par right but this is one of those cases I literally pulled out the par meter and I picked a spot that was a little bit bluish um, and about 200 220 par and uh, it's getting evenly lit up from both sides and so yeah I thought that might be one of those things like oh maybe it's really picky about temperature and maybe it's really picky about lighting and I don't think that's the case that's good. Yeah. yeah, I could see you doing a whole dedicated system for it if it did, you know. Just oh yeah, <clears throat> oh yeah, or even just a, a satellite aquarium. Like now, yeah. the system, some of the systems are so big, it's really easy to just put a tank next to it and just have it, you know, connected to that. Um, but yeah, it's funny how my overflow tank turned into like a legit reef holding system, just full of freaking milk stylo and candy corals and acros, and I put all my clams in there first. It's kind of like a pre-quarantine because clams can have uh, i don't know something that we haven't characterized yet so i don't know if it's a disease i don't know if it's a parasite but i've got three blue squamosas in there i've got one uh, uh, teardrop i've got one black and white maxima large and then now i've got like the 11 inch um embalaguana clam uh but yeah you're right <laughs> if i could get a few more i was like yeah i could i could see myself just going crazy yeah but as far as clams, I've actually separated out separated them out more. So my gigas and my two hippopus are in the acropora system where flow kind of really goes around them. They kind of are straddling one of the outlets of my clover nozzle on my acropora system. Um, so they're not getting blasted by, by flow, but there's a lot of water being pulled through them. And then they're getting just blasted with light because those things that occur in super shallow water. And then I have my maximas and my squamosinas in pretty average light, probably like 200 micromoles um, with my Christmas tree worm rocks and God, they just, they, they're really fun. Really, really fun. And then I've got a couple of random Derasas in the coral flats. I've got a big blue squamosa in my Monty tank. And then I have this oddball Derasa that has like this flap of this extra flap of tissue on its mantle in another tank. I have clams almost everywhere <laughs> and I need more. So yeah, I think, um, um, the only thing I don't have right now is crocheas, but I'll be super cautious about adding any more clams now that I got the devil. 
and it won't do that for months. I'll, you know, I'll let the devil on that one system quarantine condition and just isolate for months before they get added to the larger system. And then maybe once that happens, I'll get like a batch of, of Maximus. Yeah, that's on my wish list as well. I've got, you know, one of these rocks that I built has just a nice shallow center. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then it just has arms like tentacles coming out with corals on them, soft corals. And uh, I was thinking, you know, because the height of the tank it lends itself to looking down into it like a lagoon, right? I thought, well, instead of putting a coral in the middle, you know, because um, I've already got two sizable well, they're small now, but they will grow to a sizable size, rice, guamosa, duresa. But, you know, I could definitely see myself adding a, a nice maxima on that rock, just kind of, mm-hmm. and then let you the know what? soft corals kind of engulf it, you know? I want to take a moment to give a shout out to ORA. They have been supplying aquacultured Durasa, squamosa, maximas. I'm not sure if they do crocheas. And then more recently, the gigas for like 15 years. Yeah. And these are cultured on site in the third, you know, in, in the Marshall Islands where income is needed to add value to the reef. And they've done this day in, day out with just like no thanks. And no like real appreciation for what that means. Because we can't really get wild giant clams from a lot of places. For most places, I mean, most of them are cultured. If they're wild, then they might have some issues. But I just want to say, like, the quality of the Maximas that they have, the blues and the blacks of the Maxima. Oh, my yeah. goodness. They're just they're insane. They're and they so come nice. in really clean, you know? I, yeah, that's the that's the, the farming aspect, right? Yeah. They're so clean. And they're so, I mean, yeah, I just I really am glad that Ori is filling up that part of, you know, the reef aquarium hobby. I, I, I don't know what we clam lovers would do without them yeah true that's that's you know i obviously there's some lps in my tank but though, though that's where you might see me ending up with a calcium reactor one day again if you know these clams start really upticking in their growth and stuff but i don't know there's just in my opinion nothing cooler in a reef tank than a tridacnid mm-hmm. um I, well anemone is a of certain species are pretty cool, but even then I'll, I'll, I think a clam is just such a more dynamic organism compared to like a coral or something, you know, it's, I think my reef aquarium experience is more closely tied to giant clams because when I first started looking at the saltwater tanks, when I'd go to the fish store and I was looking at the cichlids at the time and I just start like pondering whether to do a saltwater tank, they had all kinds of clams. You know, they had Red Sea clams and just electric crochets and all these just mind-blowing colors. And I think that's why I just, you and I, you know, there was, like, the, it was the German reefers, right? They had so many freaking clams in their tanks. Like, sometimes it'd be, like, a quarter of the area would be a handful of clams and a few big colonies, you know? Um, and it's just nice to see that diversity of invertebrates all put together. Yeah, that's a good point. You don't you don't see that too often anymore. Um, or not a not a community coral reef, but a mixed, you know, like biology reef, right? With the anemones and the clownfish well, and the, all the different corals and the clams and the feather dusters and the flame scallops. You know, just like a little bit more diversity of the actual reef, not just different kinds of coral. But do, you know, because that used to be so much more common, and now all I keep hearing is that. 
mixed reefs are harder than SPS dedicated or LPS dedicated or I would I mean I would generally agree with that. I I guess I just never really saw it that way. I don't know. Um or I, I can see how catering to one specific type of coral is is easier. But I mean I, I don't we you know, I don't I don't necessarily think it's hard, super hard. You know, I mean you can keep Acropora with softies and you can keep some, you know, I mean, as long as you kind of think about the flow and the lighting and, and realize it you takes more considerations, zones. which, you know, in essence would make it harder, right? Yeah. But I mean, isn't that what gardening is like, right? When you look at your yard, you're like, okay, that's kind of a shady spot. So I should look for shade tolerant plants and okay, over here, that gets a lot of high noon sun. So I'm going to look, I'm going to go to Home Depot and look at the full sun plants. Like, I don't know. I just, I was thinking about that because I, I, I've seen that that idea pop up in a few YouTube videos I've watched and I'm sitting there looking over at my tank. I'm like, I don't think what I'm doing is all that hard, but I, you're not wrong, but we've, you've also been doing for forever when there wasn't specialized reef tanks, it was just a reef tank. And then you just throw stuff in it and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> so that's I still do different. that. I guess I just kind of plop stuff in like, Ooh, I like that. But um, you know, a couple things, um, I had personally forgotten how I used to, the first calcium reactor I ever ran, no pH probe. And I had been apprehensive about doing a calcium reactor again until there was like the super high-tech Daltec version, which is actually kind of simple if you think about it. And I think I'm going to be able to distill some of the functions without all the degassing chambers. Yeah. Um, but I had personally forgotten how we used to run calcium reactors without a pH probe. You just measure the pH on the effluent and setting up this uh, CCHEM calcium reactor without a pH probe, just occasionally monitoring, you know, the, the, the pH coming out, like literally occasionally. Oh my God, I'm, I think I'm falling in love with calcium reactors again. I actually hit up uh, CCHEM today to see if they were gonna come out with a larger version of the calcium reactor, just cause it's just dead simple. And if I have multiple skimmers and multiple reactors, like as a power user, the modularity between the skimmers and the calcium reactors is like really working for me. I realize that the the, uh, the use case scenario is very different for an individual who has one tank, who needs one protein skimmer or one calcium reactor. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm like, so so one of the challenges that I'm having right now is a good is a good problem. I am struggling to keep my alkalinity up and to keep my pH up. Because if I get my pH up, the corals grow faster and they suck down the alkalinity. goes down, yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, it's a really good problem to have. But only very recently am I having to actually dose trace elements. Because, I mean, I must have 100 pounds, at least 100 pounds of living coral in 600 gallons of water. And at that density, water changes just aren't enough. Yeah. And so, yeah, the newer challenge now is like, Holy crap. It's like driving a race car. I've always likened it to this. The higher you get that pH, the harder it is to steer, right? You need so much more control. And every tiny little thing, it results in huge changes. And I would not advise most acquirers to aim for any higher than like 8.2, 8.3. Just don't do it. Like it's, it's just going to take a little bit more time. Now, if you're professional and you're really aquaculturing and you want, you want to grow corals at breakneck speeds, you know, you want to turn one frag into a hundred in like six months. Yeah, sure. Go down that road. But it's not, it doesn't make for like more casual reef keeping. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
then it's harder to provide all you know the cornucopia of different trace elements that we don't really even put a name on um, when you're we're doing that. But uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going all the way. You know, I've already got the distributed freshwater delivery system for calc reactors in nearly every tank. And now I'm doing kind of the same thing for air. So three of my protein skimmers pull in from a window, but now I'm putting in like a central nervous system of fresh air that's going to be able to like drop down and feed every tank. And when I'm done, you won't even see it. Have I you, just, have you just, looked into like an HRV? Like, I don't think they're that expensive. I mean, it's just a... They're not. I just don't want to. Because you got like, that just nice wanna. dry Colorado air flowing around outside so you could even not only use it for you know um better co2 o2 balance but also uh get get some of that humidity out right because the the air you're exchanging with is super dry um and one of the other things that i'm noticing too which is why i've kind of gravitated for certain applications towards the reduced ecology reef aquarium what I call my coral aquarium mm-hmm. is on a long enough timeline, man, that buildup of coralline oh, yeah. competes with all your corals for traces and uh, minerals and, and all that algae and any little bit of detritus that's going to breathe. It's breathing all the time, but at night it's not photosynthesizing. So one of the things I can do, and I try to do it like twice a year, I'm still like a month or two out from that. And it's like, I, I do like a hard or soft reset of certain systems. So I've already done for the four display tanks, the mangrove tank, the four foot used to be soft coral tank, the three foot euphilia tank and the two foot LPS tank. But now the coral flats that have huge surface area, it's like time, you know, what I do is like just, I just kind of shove all the corals on one side, scrape down the entire bottom, suck all that out, move the corals back to the other side, scrape that down, suck it all out, and then kind of put the corals back where they need to go. It's actually, you know, it's, it's, it's a good amount of work, but it's the kind of work I love, you know, because I get to handle my corals and I get to reconsider their placements in the aquarium. And, uh, but man, when I do that, that's when I can really get my pH up and my alkalinity is a lot easier to do. Um, I'm, I'm, I promise you, I guarantee you in the future, coral farmers will go to great lengths to exclude coralline from their systems and everything like it, right? Because it's just when you grow up you know, to be profitable, you want to grow things at a high density. And just in the future, people will realize like it does not make sense. That's why I don't dose iodine. When I dose iodine, like coralline really explodes. That's it's not the limiting factor for everyone, but for me, it's the limiting factor of coralline growth. That's a that's a really good point you bring up. Is that you know when you when you let the surfaces of your tank get overgrown with coralline algae, when you let the biodiversity go up, um, <clears throat> certainly it adds to the stability factor in some ways for like a personal t- casual tank. But in like a situation like yours those are all consumers of oxygen as well as calcium, you know, alkalinity, trace elements. I um, firmly believe that the buildup of all that stuff is the, the cause of old tank syndrome. That's a good, that's a thing. Imagine all the stuff growing in your pipes, in your overflow box, in your sump, you know, like, God bless them. I know there's some very experienced aquarists out there who've never siphoned detritus from their sumps. You know who you are. 
but <laughs> but I like man I, my sump you know we've talked about glass sumps already that I have some sumps that are really visible and like it's really easy to just kind of scrape them down and pull water from there instead of the aquarium and uh, kind of suck from the sump as the tanks getting refilled at the same time but yeah no I like to keep that stuff super clean but on the flip side totally different from all of this please excuse me while I do a little Pokemon raid <laughs> um, I just started messing with my nano reef tank, my one day nano reef tank that I built in one day from scratch, live sand, live rock, bacterial additives that works, added all the corals and fish. And I didn't put my hand physically in the tank for a year. Didn't do a water change for a year. And you know what? That was a fun demonstration, but, um, it's nice to get back up in there and like kind of move some things around and. Now I'm like, all right, I need three nano tanks because I want to do three different things. <laughs> but I, um, I did a water change at the one year mark. So that would have been back in December. And I just put out that video on updating the tank at right, right around 500 days. And this is kind of funny. And this is, this is a little bit interesting. You'll find this interesting. I don't know if I told you this, but um, did a little bit of work in the tank. I siphoned out a little bit of this and that. Um, did a little bit of Palothoa grandis fragging, which I never needed to do and um put it all together everything's fine wake up the next day the tank is milk what like literally take milk cut it by 50 percent with water and that's it the, what the water looked like and i at first i'm just like oh crap i got some you know palathoa juice in there and it's pissed everything off and i'm having a tank crash and i'm so embarrassed but then i'm looking at the tank and i'm like my fish are fine corals are fine like what the hell's going on like what is what is happening in this tank and then i noticed that there was two snails that were kind of near the top of the water and you know when you put your hands in the tank you know the the the, the, the snails uh, like to go off right or urchins or sometimes or water change well what i'm thinking happened is because i hadn't put my hands in the tank for a year the snails had blue balls and they just went and went and went and went. <laughs> and I'm telling you, none of the corals were irritated. The water yeah. looked like milk. None of the corals were irritated. But there was like definitely a scum fuzz building up in the back of the system. And uh, it smelled like, you know what? You know, like <laughs> sex. You know, if you've ever had uh, uni, you know, like urchin row. We all know what, what it smells like, even instinctively. It's just natural. And the skimmer was skimming out this white stuff. You know, it just looked like the snails went off all night. <laughs> and we're talking about sperm, y'all. That's what we're talking about. Because I did a, a complete water change, set the uh, uh, protein skimmer to skim a little bit wet, and it just kept pulling out this white skimmate. And everything was fine. Nothing, I, you know, I really thought I just totally bungled this tank. And because I hadn't put my hands in the tank, the snails hadn't gone off. They didn't have that trigger. And so they went off all at once. They were just waiting for that opportunity. And, uh, but yeah, long story short, I put a bunch of Palatoa grandis in there. Um, I put an orange frog spawn, an orange branch feeding frog spawn in there. Um, I just peppered it in with um, a little bit of what I call my uh, Manila Spy, thin red branching Montipora, and some utter chaos and a couple orange. I really was trying to like balance out the green corals with some more colors. And um, but yeah, on the flip side, you know, it's like on my other tanks, I'm I'm trying to reduce ecology as much as possible. 
And on that tank, I was like, all right, you know what? Let's do an experiment. Let's set it up in one day and let it go. I wasn't planning to let it go that long, but at the three month mark, it looked exactly like it did on day one, just hyper clean. You know, you and I had some experiences using the Brentwell razor to just like completely refurbish the rock. Like it was almost so beautiful. <laughs> I mean, it just looked fake. It was so clean. Um, and this, yeah, this tank just completely coasted, but now I can treat it like a real reef tank. I don't have to feed it twice a week to just really minimize those nutrients. And so it's nice to be able to play with that nano tank again. Because you can, you know, when you have a nano tank, like you can reimagine that thing pff, every two months. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you like know? you were saying, like planted people will do that, right? They'll reboot the tank occasionally and go for a scenery or something. And and I think it's fun when you have a large tank that you can pull from, like yes. a, like a bank of corals, because you can always just put what was in the nano big in your back in your big tank and then yes. do something new and you know, and then you get bored and do something different again and. That's exactly what the studio was set up for. I, you know, if I don't like a coral where it's at, I don't have to keep it in there. I can take it out and put it in any one of these three different coral flats. And then if I really want to see a coral in one of these coral flats, I pull it out and put it in a spot in one of the displays. That's what the studio was set up for. Yeah, I couldn't stop thinking about something you told me earlier about the fact that you can take a coral and put it in several different systems that have different lighting, different flow, and just over time, observe that coral in multiple environments, right? Like yep. those yep. of us that are, you know, at home with one or two tanks, we don't have that liberty, right? Um, so that, that that to me, yeah, I just uh, I spent, you know, better part of the evening just thinking about that and just how much more observational quality you get in your environment versus like mine, right? Yeah. yeah, you know, the, the example that we were discussing is um, uh, branching Cyphastra decadia. I have it in one tank where it's getting tons of flow, not a ton of light, but a ton of flow. It's almost like going with the flow, like growing in that direction, but it's also growing super dense and it's not, it's not crazy colorful until the light gets like to really deep blue spectrum. But then I have it in another tank where it's like practically growing a, uh, under a, like a big bush of anacropora and it is phenomenal. Like the core lights are widely spaced. They're super red. The branches are like really delicate, not really delicate, but tapering and just, and it's the same exact coral, you know? And I'm like, yeah, that's why I'm doing. That's why the studio is for just have this gradient of ecosystems and condition and light ranges, and um, it's really that part is, is super fun because you you know like for example like um, there's two corals that I put try to put in every tank is um, Australian Gold Torch. I got a big colony at Reefstock, Australia, 2019. And it had 15 polyps or something, and I've just cut it up. I've given away some few pieces. I'll hook you up if you want. And uh, it's that one, it's it's weird. It likes certain kinds of bright light. It loves bright blue light, but in bright white light, it's like, it just kind of fades, you know? And it likes, it really likes, it really likes middle of the road flow. Because in high flow, which a lot of my tanks are, it's just flapping in the breeze. And um, yeah, it's just really fun to experiment with that. But another ex excellent example is the Starmint candy coral. You still have it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I have it in super low light and super high light and high flow and all these things. And it grows faster under high light, but then the, the, the core lights are really close together and it's like a lighter brown, you know, a little bit 
lighter colored but under low light the polyps get really big and super puffy and like super dark to contrast with the green mouth and the green stripes and it's just really fun to you know to just see that gradient of of morphologies in the same coral in the same water right yeah that's such a tolerant coral that whenever there's like a shady spot like maybe the rock overhangs and you know you've got not so much of the spread of like t5s with leds right so you end up with even more harsher shadows than say like a t5 or something like along those lines so that's one of those corals i can always use and just kind of wedge into one of those situations yeah and it's fine and it grows and then every once in a while i'll bump into it and it cracks into pieces and then i just again i throw some out and i just plant like the best looking remainder and then it just keeps good trucking again i mean that's just such a uh just a hearty easy to care for coral that you can like stick in that like nothing will grow here so you just put that guy there you know either super low or super high yeah and you know i have like way too much like of those the neon green uh, candy coral and i've got a bunch of them glued down and i've got some colonies kicking around but you know when you see them sometimes out in the wild like usually they'll be a nice little colony but like down deep sometimes they're just in the ground mm-hmm. right their polyps are just kind of poking out of the sand and you know that there's a skeleton underneath it and they're like a weird sand coral yeah and it's just super fun so i've got this one basket where i just I just laid them all down and it's funny because you know the, the the colony is like this and then the the new coral like growth is all pointed upwards but it really adapts to that like that is such a versatile it's coral. when like, you'll find growing in like some crevice behind your rock that you thought was dead and it's just you know it's fun like that yeah but that's one coral you can like lose a frag behind the rock yeah. work and you find you know a small colony a couple of years later yep so. so, yeah, definitely a lot of fun stuff happening uh, in our tanks. Um, I think maybe we'll save it for uh, another session, but I've uh, finally got my hands on the uh, Blu-ray Pro from, oh, you can't really see it, from GNC Italia. But there's definitely like a, a niche market of LED lights kind of sprouting up finally that instead it has no lenses. Instead it has 500 leds running at 20 milliwatts if you don't know all leds are actually their efficiency is measured and rated at 20 milliwatts right so that's a fraction of what our one watt and two watt and five watt leds are running at but they're the most efficient at that low power and it's one of the most expensive things you can do is just like throw a ton of leds at it and run them at that really low power but it's bridging the gap between uh the efficiency of leds the controllable controllability and the flexibility of led control and spectrum and then distributing those lights like a t5 you know but it's it's expensive because you know you have to build a bigger panel and you have there are a lot of leds in there and you have to have a bigger pcb and but it does make it easier to have a passively cooled light source you know so um the gnc uh, italia is a brand that's really all in on that and um the ati stratton is about to is bring also, that one up yeah because i don't think they run cool, at 20 right? milliwatts i no. think they run them probably like less than two watts i don't know for sure and then you know we'll see whatever happens with uh the sky led um but yeah it's kind of fun to see the 
a little bit something different in the LED lighting space. So you're still using your your old Hydras, right? Yeah, they're still. <clears throat> that was the, that was the other. Uh, Which I model to bring are they? Up. The um, 52 and 26 HDs. So the Do first you know gen where you guy? can up the. Sorry, what? Do you know there's a guy making custom pucks for those? Oh, really? Yeah. Can you do warm white for me? <laughs> uh, he's already got it <clears throat> fleshed out, but you can okay. take those exact pucks, and it won't add as many LEDs as the 32 and 64, but they're a little bit definitely bluer, right? I, you know, I know Ecotech and AI have usually tried to have a do-it-all aquarium light, except for their freshwater selections, and then now more recently with the Radeon Gen 5 Blue. Um, so the new pucks just kind of push a lot of that spectrum to the blue. And yeah, you and me both, man, warm white is where it's at. I almost like am so upset when people use cool white. I'm like, everything's so blue. We need the warm white to balance it out. And then you wouldn't need the reds. Um, you might get some of that purple color that not everybody freaking loves. Um, but um, I don't know exactly, but I'll, I'll look into it. But they're not for the 32 and 64. They're for the 26 and 54 52 yeah 52 so many numbers kicking around um but yeah that'd be an interesting way to to get more life but i like that they're third party right so like someone else has taken upon themselves to kind of develop a uh, uh to get to keep more life into these you know expensive valuable still perfectly fine heat sinks drivers and power supplies yeah, I've been surprised at the longevity of them in a good way. You know, I think, uh, I mean, I remember seeing people with the original AIs years later still running them. There's two, do some people still are? Yeah, and that's it's amazing, crazy, right? Um, yeah. <clears throat> so these have been holding up well. I did see that when I was moving stuff, some of the lenses were a bit melted in um, one of the LEDs. I think you mentioned that happens a lot with the UV. Yeah, UV is just like such a high energy light source, you know, five, six plus years ago, like we didn't really know how to manage that high energy light and not burn, you know, plastic. Um, but I, I hope, I hope they've gotten better at making lenses uh, that go over the UV section for our current generation of LED lights. I haven't had any issues on my Gen 4s, and I say Gen 4 because I've had those for a while and it, I'm not sure how common that is either. Yeah, I mean, they work great still and it didn't seem to cause any issues. So I'm still running them. Uh, my corals, you know, I, I've had good luck growing. I mean, that Jason Fox flame grew from oh, a Oh, God, I can't believe you don't fruit me the <laughs> But I mean, it grew into a big, to nice tabling. That was like tabling. the biggest piece I've ever seen. Was it? Come on, other yeah, people have grown it that big. That's Yeah, but not that nice. <laughs> not with the yellow tips all over. Yeah, it was a nice table coral. I, you know, it was, and I, I didn't even know it turned into a table. <laughs> They're usually encrusting, and then they have like this much branches, and people are like, oh, that's my mother calling me right there. <laughs> well, now you're making me feel bad that I put it in my backyard. You should. you should, you should, you should. I hope you should have taken a few photographs and nice snapshots of like documenting how beautiful that coral becomes at full I think, full I think size. I got some pictures of it uh, from uh, up top, you know, to show the tabling formation, but. Um, you know, for somebody that was early on a real big skeptic of LEDs, that just, you know, the fact that I'm running a several generation old light and it grew that coral into a beautiful table colony, um, 
that that sealed the deal for me. I mean, I know that ship has already sailed for a lot of people, and a good you know a lot of people have confidence. And there's coral farmers growing LEDs, but just you know seeing it with your own eyes is always good. Um, the other the other hiccup I noticed was uh, the uh, my DDR. I, guess, I think it's the acronym for it, the dosing container, the optical sensor. Oh yes, um, what was it? Um, <laughs> yeah, Neptune? whatever. We know what we're talking about. Well, the optical sensors stop doing anything a long time ago and i probably should have been smart at that point and figured out how to remove them but like the cabling is like glued behind like acrylic and it just looked complicated but uh when i was moving it i noticed that there was rust coming out of the wire i was like oh it looks like i've been dosing some some metallic trace elements that's that's never good yeah but so I, i i did manage to remove those i just went in there with like a screwdriver and i was able to pop the acrylic off and get the wires out so now you know, I don't have to worry about that anymore. But nice. It's it's it just uh, it's a reminder that you know check your gear, check check everything out. Uh, yes, that's I think that'll be a great point to end on. I think probably one of the biggest dangers that we have in the reef aquarium hobby is assuming that everything's okay. Yep. Right. Um, somebody recently. Oh, I think I was just watching some random YouTuber who had, you know, a, a pump on something that, you know, had ruptured and it was just uh, just casually leaching uh, copper into his tank because the copper wires and it's crazy that these pumps can still work, not shock you. And it's just slowly leaching copper into his system and poisoning his corals. And it's, it's frustrating. It doesn't kill them. It just poisons them. And you, you can't put your finger on it. It's not like one day, oh, things are totally off. It's just it's a very gradual thing. Was that the and guy? So, he's got like a 300-gallon tank on YouTube. I think I saw the same video. Reef Man, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. he's got like Poor a nice uh, oh, blue-spotted angel in his tank and... I think... Uh, Does he have a blue spot? Like Ketodonoplus yeah. Coruleo punctatus? Yeah. No, what's uh, that? I know. I was like, oh, that's that's cool. Um, but yeah, I felt bad for him watching that video. It was like a CJ pump that he was using to pump, to feed some media yeah. reactor or something. But Yeah, so I guess the point I was getting at is like once a year, I take everything apart. There's not one corner of the studio that I don't like dig into and take completely apart at least once a year you know towards the end of the year literally between christmas and new year i make a point to just ask to wash every single one of my pumps to take them completely apart even especially if they're running fine i want to keep them running that way and that prevents those kind of issues right yeah. that it's, it's the wear and tear and the lime and the biofilm and little bits of sand that if you you know your, t- your dude our aquarium equipment is so durable it's i would put most of the blame on the users never cleaning their equipment man i did a talk at macna when that was a thing and it was on aquarium maintenance and just like you know preventing problems and i started out the talk by having you know how long has it been since you've cleaned something and how long has it been since you cleaned dude almost nobody almost nobody cleaned anything ever they're like oh you're supposed to clean your pumps Let's clean your process. I'm not trying to harp on them, but yeah, that's think that's a, a great point to end on is like clean everything, take it all apart well, at least once a year. That'll keep it running just fine. You've got so much of that to manage, right? People like me with one tank, I've got no excuse, right? You got no excuse. <clears throat> and what I've been doing is, you know, we all have our, our smartphones now is uh I, it's a psychological thing with me. Whereas now if I just put a reminder so I just use the Reminders app, and I just say, hey, remind me once a month to change my carbon. 
remind me once a month to check my salinity because I do a dose two part. And, you know, what happened with this tank move and seeing that optical sensor rusting out. So I was like, I'm just going to put all these crazy reminders. But for some reason, if I if I just stick it in my phone and it nags me to do something on a Saturday, mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. It's like, yeah. oh, it's like official, you know, like, oh, I got something. That I've, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I got to change out my carbon. You know, like it, I actually do it. It's a psychological thing where I, I don't know. I just officiate it through a reminders app. But so I'm just going to start doing that because I, I think you're absolutely I, right. I always used uh, holidays, right? Yeah. Like, so towards the end of the year, I want to go into the new year with everything's being super fresh. And then like Sunday is my day to not feed but to just kind of maybe like top off the the dosing containers and make sure they're full because your dosing pumps could be running perfectly but if there's nothing in the dosing container um yeah that's not gonna work <laughs> and uh you know around holidays i think to myself all right how long has it been since i cleaned this how long has it been since i cleaned that you know like right now i have my ultra reef um acula protein skimmer and it's just not skimming like it did for the first three months i keep having to turn the uh the gate valve you know shut it to keep raising the water level i'm like ah, i know this protein skimmer needs a, like a good deep clean it's so satisfying when you do it oh it's so I, satisfying I, uh, when you do it and you have to open up the gate valve so much because it's like Oh, it's just, just a churning. machine of like froth. It's insane. You'll laugh because the um, I, I would uh, stick a paper clip into the venturi hole for the needle wheel skimmer every once in a while. Oh, that's that's hyper normal. We, well, I have a I have a paper clip pre bent in a specific yep. place specifically for that uh, application. But so I've been griping for a year about man, they really should have made the opening to this much larger. This is ridiculous that this mm. hole is so small. And I, I mean, I've been saying that on my brain for a year, and I'm running a much smaller skimmer that I had sitting in the storage. Bubble my goose. Yeah, um, cone S. I'm using a curve five on my new tank, okay. which is tiny, right? But I I'm trying to. I don't want to over skim at the moment, and uh, I, I just figured you know that way I can clean the other one up. So I was sitting there looking at it, and I'm like, hold on a second. And then I went in there with, like, a much larger utensil. Right. Dude, the hole is, like, a quarter of an inch, but I've been, like, managing this tiny pinhole with a paperclip thinking that's – because, I mean, it's white plastic, and the calcium carbonate buildup is the same color. I feel like an idiot. Like, it was, like, a much larger hole when I – It's crazy when you finally get around to doing these things. Yeah. But one thing you can do before, like, completely disassembling your skimmer is, like, literally a couple weeks ago, I pulled off every aspirator valve, eventually going into the protein skimmer. I pulled them all off, put them in a container, boil some water, put it in there, let it sit for, I don't know, 10, 20 minutes, put them all back. Because when you poke a hole, yeah, you barely get enough air Mm -hmm. back into it. And when you actually look inside that aspirator valve, there's like there's a supposed to be like a ring of, of negative space where that the air can flow around to be pulled in and you can poke a hole in and like you'll you know there'll be an air path but all around it it's still like this salty uh crusty buildup um so yeah deep cleanings will get you a lot farther yeah. a lot farther agree well i'm super glad you're uh Got a new tank build. We're gonna have a lot to talk about as you get dinoflagellates again. Oh, Woo! don't say it. Don't say it. I got my tank at 82 degrees, man. I'm, I'll knock, I'm cooking I'll knock the crap out of that tank because I don't want to see those things. So, so what? Are, um, I guess you know, just to wrap it up, we started talking about your ta- tank. 
and we can end talking with your about your tank for anybody out there who is in the process of setting up a new tank or upgrading to a, a larger tank what are some of the things that you're prioritizing to ensure the success and stability of uh, your new aquarium um so i'm i'm big on biological diversity biomass right so i was fortunate in being able to transfer that i think if i was starting a new tank from scratch i would put emphasis on seeding that tank early on you know like we talked about the canary corals but i definitely see no harm in getting like some seed rock even if it's just a couple of nano sized rocks to throw in your sump um to me that's huge um and uh, you don't, I mean, something we talked about in the misconception, don't be shy about adding corals in there. Get biomass in there, right? Because mm -hmm. I, I feel like that's your com competition for that algae that you hate so much. Um, <clears throat> feed light in the beginning, right? Yeah, feed light. I mean, even if you have established fish who are used to being fed like two or three times a day, just feed less and feed less often. Yeah, you know, just start. I would say start light on your fish and your cleanup crew, but go heavy on your coral, which it sounds kind of crazy, but, um, you know, don't, it don't does seem so counterintuitive to some, some circles, right? Yeah. And don't go spend $300 on a tracky, right? <laughs> As your canary coral. Um, I don't know that that's to me where I'm at and I'm sure I'll be battling some things. I'm, I, I don't, I don't think anybody has really mastered. I don't think so. I, don't think so. I think you'll get, you know, you'll get, um, your diet. I think your diatom bloom will flare and then it'll subside to like a normal level. Yeah. I think, I don't think you're going to have any issues and I'm looking really looking forward to like, uh, you know, talking about where your tank is at right now. Have you thought? Have you thought about um, you know maybe like reducing the light intensity or the photo period just a I little did, bit? I did, especially because I love white light. So I thought about yep. cutting back to a more blue spectrum, just because green algae loves white light too, you know. And um, mm -hmm. I, I would definitely, I would not disagree, or let's just say I will agree that a tank that's lit like a Windex color tank probably has less algae issues than a white yep. tank but I, yep. for me it's worth i like white colored tanks and it's worth the effort right um but yeah i've, I've debated that going a little more blue in the beginning uh until things it, get are situated. you doing that your tank is going no I, have I'm you just done using it? the old the old <laughs> light cycle well uh, uh, you know put put the um put the acclimation timer on yeah right it'll it'll just automatically drop down the intensity by preset of i don't know 20 30 40 percent for however many weeks you want well, and the other thing I got going against me is I went from a dark basement to back up in stairs in a sunroom where a whole wall is just windows. And in the morning, Ooh. in the morning, the tank is lit with pure sunlight, Cover which is, up. I love I it though. Yeah. No, 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 just for now, just <laughs> for now, definitely like shade that thing, man, yeah. because that's one thing you can control. You know, your tank will adapt to it, but now is not the time. Yeah. Don't come back on the show in like two weeks and be like, oh, I got a bunch of algae in my tank because there's so much of daylight going on in a minute. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're right. It's just, I love the look, right? To no, see yeah, that's fine. Having you your cup of coffee in the morning the and see and everybody like, basking in the light. I don't know, just maybe put up some blinds or some tint or something on the on the windows. I got, yeah, I got blinds. For, I can close them up. For like two months. And yeah. then I think you'll be in the clear. Uh, that's good advice. I should do that. Very cool. Well, take a lot of observations. Stop throwing corals away. 
and uh, look forward <laughs> to, to hearing how your tank is doing on the next session of Reef Therapy. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We don't market this show or promote this show super-duper hard. I think the diehards are finding it, but uh, I believe it helps a lot if you guys give us a review on your favorite podcatcher. And if you have any questions and you're watching this on YouTube, the comment section is a great place to engage with me and Mark. So until next time, thanks, Mark. Hey, man, have a good week. Catch you guys later.